Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I am uh, in full recovery mode from a busy early signing day. It was a, uh, a busy morning on the blog, if you guys were keeping track of it. Yes, uh, today... Uh, well, not today, and we're recording this at the end of day one of the early signing period. Penn State was able to get its entire 27-member class signed uh, to play play their college ball at in Happy Valley for the next however many years they're going to be in Happy Valley. We're going to go through the class a little bit. I mean, y'all have heard us in the past. We're not doing the short pod for every kid thing again because we don't have Matt how long did that take like four hours the first year that we did it and this was back in, in a previous blog life we did one big one for everyone and I think that closed in on like two two and a half yeah and, th- and then we thought we'd break it up into individual like five minute podcasts which turned oh, like eight me. to ten minute podcasts and those went long too so um we're, we're trying a, a, a variation on that this year I think you'll hear some of those shorter versions over the uh you know coming weeks after christmas before the uh the traditional signing day in february we're going to kind of do a little recap um weekly recap of of the class going a little bit more detail but uh a little different uh way to look at things this year yeah and the way that we're going to do this is we're basically breaking down um penn state's class we're going to do offense defense four questions for each group of kids, first one is going to be position group we're happiest with. Second one, position group we're most interested by. Third, position our favorite player uh, on either side of the ball. And then the most interesting player on either side of the ball. So, uh, Matt, this is it. Uh, doesn't seem like Penn State's going to add anyone to this class. Uh, may, it, it appeared like they were... Con- going to do what they could to make a run at Fidel Diggs, uh, New Jersey player, uh, four-star heading to Texas A&M. Wasn't able to come to fruition, but still a good class for James Franklin and company. We're going to start this edition of the pod by answering those four questions for the offensive side of the football. So, Matt, let's start with uh, the first question that we have. This Penn State recruiting class on the offensive side of the ball, what is the position group that you are happiest with? I, it's a hard question to answer, and, and we're going to go through these next four here, and it's going to be um, – th- there's a lot of overlap in a lot of these questions in my mind, but I think as far as happiness, it's hard to say anything other than running back just given the talent that's coming in with Keziah Holmes and uh, Kevon Lee, both Florida kids. Um, Holmes is probably – unique among what Penn State has in the running back room currently as far as um, a true home run threat. You could argue Ricky Slade provides a little bit of that, but um, Holmes is a a blazing fast back who I think adds that, um, again, real true home run threat out of the backfield. Lee is a similar player to Noah Kane, but adds a little bit of of shiftiness to that big uh, physical running style. Um, But just in general, when you look at just the raw talent. Um, there's not a group on the offensive side of the ball that really can match uh, the pair of four stars, a pair of top 275 kids nationally um, going into Florida again to, to get um, that kind of elite skill talent. Um, just as far as the depth that's being added of talent 
it's hard for me to argue with with what uh, Jawan Sider did with the running backs again this year. Yeah, Sider is he he's just on a tear right now when it comes to running back recruiting, and as we've seen over the last couple of years, being able to have a few guys and a few options in the backfield is certainly good. We're actually going to talk about the running back situation in a little bit because Penn State's heading towards a a very crowded room back there, but we'll save that for a second. The position group that I'm happiest with, I really love what they did at wide receiver in this class, like Keandre Lambert and uh, Parker Parker Washington and Jaden Dotton come in as the four stars in this group. And then there's a little bit more depth provided by uh, Malik Mega, a Canadian, a big, big dude out on the outside in Norval Black, a junior college kid from Lackawanna. And the thing that I really like about this wide receiver group is I think it kind of, it injects a ton of new blood into a position group that I think needs it. Uh, we're still waiting to hear what Ricky, uh, not Ricky Slade, apologies, what uh, KJ Hamler is going to do regarding his college decision, uh, whether he's going to stick around, whether he's going to head to the NFL, that sort of thing. But as I look at Penn State's depth chart after that, Hamler may, might be gone, Justin Shorter seems like he's gone, and then it there's Jahan Dotson, who I, you know, I like a lot, Daniel George, who I like a lot, and then there's you know, John Dunmore is a guy who uh, they were high on recruited last year, but they could really use just a major infusion of talent. Uh, I think that Keandre Lambert and Parker Washington, especially, give them two sorts of things that they need on the outside. Uh, Bo- Lambert is just a very quick, very shifty receiver. Washington just a very well-rounded type of guy. And then they have a few projects behind them. Uh, Dotton looks like he could be good. Uh, Mega has a very high ceiling, but you know, for that might be a little lower than you like to think. And then black steps in as the uh, community college kid, Matt, is there anything that you'd like to add on the wide receiver class? Because if I know you well enough, when we get to the favorite player part, you might touch on one of these, uh, one or two of these receivers. <laughs> well, it's actually, this is an unintended segue to our next uh, question. The group I'm most interested in is the receiver group on offense. For a lot of the reasons you mentioned, Bill, it's kind of got a whole range of talent. Um, Keandre Lambert, I think if he was a couple inches taller or a couple pounds bigger at this point, he would be a lot higher than, um, than he is. I think he's an absurdly talented kid. But I think there's just the natural uncertainty you have with a kid who's just 176 pounds at the moment that can he maintain that speed and shiftiness that you talked about. Um, if there's anyone in the country that can make sure that happens, it's the White Galt. So I think that's that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch over the, the next couple of years. Um, I don't think there's another player in the class as ready as – Taylor made to step in right away and contribute than Parker Washington. Um, I actually wrote his uh, his signed article on the site that went up on Wednesday. Um, he's I'm I'm trying to think of, of of the right way to say this, but essentially he's a guy that kind of flies in the face of a lot of running backs that come out of out of uh, high school going to college, where he has the physical traits, he has the the shiftiness, he has the the quality speed. But he understands how to get open. He understands how to set defenders up. He understands how to run routes effectively, um, which is a hard thing for, I think, a lot of guys to do 
making that transition. A lot like an offensive lineman or defensive lineman can get by in high school with being just physically better than the guy across from him. A lot of receivers get open just by being faster and quicker than the other guy. Um, and that that difference in skill gets a lot smaller once you get to the collegiate level. But Washington is a guy that um, reminds me in a lot of ways of Deshaun Hamilton is just a really effective player. Doesn't do one thing at an elite level, does a lot of things really, really well. Um, Dotton is a guy that, again, is, is almost a bigger version of Washington to me in some ways. Um, he's a 6'3 kid, but he's um, going to need to put some weight on before he can contribute. But again, doesn't do anything at an at a elite level, but does a lot of things really well. And then you've got kind of the two, for lack of a better term, unknowns in Malik Mega, the uh, kid from Quebec who athletically might be the most gifted player on offense in the class. Um, but unlike a lot of Canadian football players, has not made the move to the United States to finish out high school and adapt to the uh, the American game. Um, but his, his testing numbers are just off the charts four four forties, uh, right around a four, four second shuttle, I think a 37 or 38 inch vertical. So certainly all the tools there, um, a six, four 195 pound frame that will certainly get bigger as he gets into the, the strength and conditioning program. And then the junior college tra- transfer Norval, Norval black, um, who has game breaking kind of ability, but again, we'll need to add some weight, um, he's a guy that has a red shirt year available, so you might not see him right away next year. Um, but it really, it touches on a couple of things. One, like you said, Bill, adding five players to that receiving room that I think could stand to have a little infusion of just new blood, you know, who knows where, how any of these five guys are ultimately going to turn out, but it's, uh, I think creates some more competition. It adds some more depth, um, all across the field. And there's some really high end, high, high level ceilings, um, on all five of those players. For me, I'm going to go with the pass catching group, and I'm not going to go with receiver. I'm going to go with tight end. Um, I think that Theo Johnson has the potential. He he could end up being a star. Uh, he's big, fast, strong, athletic. Uh, you know, anytime you can get a six six two hundred and forty two pound kid who runs a four six or whatever it is with his elite agility at that size. He has the potential to be really special, and he has the concern that you need every young tight end to kind of work through, which is that he needs to um, improve quite a bit as a blocker, but he has the size and the physicality to do that, and as we've seen, as we've seen over the last year, even though Ricky Ronnie is going to be gone, your offense is able, it, it just has something different when it has a tight end that you're not able to. You know, that opposing teams aren't able to stop in the passing game, and I think Johnson has the potential to do that. Uh, Pat Frymer's coming back gives him an extra year, so he can use next season to uh, play in up to four games, uh, get a feel for college football. Uh, hopefully one of uh, Zach Kuntz or... Uh, Oh God, I'm I'm blanking. This is... Not Brenton five, Strange. Right? Brenton Strange, correct, are able to... But give oh, give that little bit of spelling to Pat Fryermuth that so that you don't have to worry about okay we're going to have Johnson play a little bit too much, but he has the potential to be a game changer at tight end, which as we've seen with Fryermuth as we saw with Mike Kosicki is something an offense could really use. And then there's Tyler Warren, very very interesting case. Uh, I'm going to give all credit to Sean Fitz. 
of 24-7 Sports for this one. But he mentioned that uh, Warren planned to go to Virginia Tech to play quarterback. Once he saw that wasn't going to uh, happen, he decided to open things back up. And then reading straight from what uh, Sean wrote here, when he did that, a bunch of schools, including Penn State, flocked to his school to get a look. Warren, as it turns out, wasn't on Twitter and was very tough to get in touch with. When coaches were able to watch him work out or play basketball, most followed up with an offer. And that's just really interesting. The concept of, in you know, with how recruiting works right now, that a kid could be an unknown to the extent that Tyler Warren seems like an unknown. 6'6", 235, Stands to reason that he's going to have to spend a lot of time learning how to play tight end. Uh, Matt, if there's any last thing you would like to say about either Johnson or Warren, go ahead and say it. But it seems like with Warren, he might be a kid who needs a year or two to kind of figure things out. But he has the potential to be, uh, again, another one of those kids who if he doesn't work out, that's fine. It happens. But if he does work out, he has the potential to be really, really good. I'm going to cheat move ahead to the fourth question, which was the most interesting player on the offensive side. And it is for me, Tyler Warren, um, for those reasons you just mentioned, he's as much of an unknown as you can really have in this day and age in recruiting um, for two reasons. One, he hasn't really played a whole lot of tight end. Um, he played a little bit more this year. Um, once it became clear, that's kind of where his future was. But he was still kind of primarily um, a quarterback for his high school team. Um, and he's also not on social media at all. So um, I remember when he committed, we were kind of, no one really knew who he was because it wasn't one of those guys you could really um, track down easily. And there was one of those guys where I think we ended up waiting quite a while to figure out who it was um, because there wasn't a social media uh, announcement, so to speak by, by Warren, but um, Sean posted his uh, basketball highlights, his junior year basketball highlights and it's Freak. just about it's about five minutes of a really big tall guy dunking on everyone um, and running the floor really well. There, there's not a whole lot. Give him of, a scholarship, Pat. There's not a whole lot of finesse in his basketball game, um, but you can just see the raw athleticism and um, it's one of those typical low floor, high ceiling kind of kids. But if he can put it all together, um, his athleticism athleticism is just absolutely off the charts. I, I suppose I can skip over to my answer. Uh, there and we're going to stay with the pass catchers and I'm going to go with Malik Mega uh, basically because he is as big of uh, <laughs> the gap in what could happen with him is just so huge uh, 6'4", 195 runs a 4'2", with a 408 shuttle nearly a 36 inch for goal like, if you were to build a wide receiver in a lab it would look something like Malik Mega uh, the question is, you know, getting used to playing football, um, learning the game a little bit more, getting up to the level because the step up in competition from playing in high schools in Quebec to playing Big Ten football is, is gigantic. And I think if you put him in that wide receiver room and you you don't tell him to sink or swim, you are probably going to have to hold his hand a bit. You're probably going to have to guide him through high major college football life in a way that you don't have to with other kids who I don't want to say know what that's like, but maybe gotten a taste with it playing high major, you know, high level high school football. I think there's so much potential there. He's such a raw prospect that if they could work, if he can work out, 
he is a potential game changer at receiver on the outside, mixing speed, missing, mixing physicality, and all the stuff that you want out of, you know, that bigger, more physical wide receiver. I, I don't know if he will get there. Um, I think it's certainly fair to be skeptical that he will ever get to that point, but if you're telling me that you have to mold a kid at his size, uh, with his athletic ability into something, that's a dude you take a chance on, especially considering how much other receiver talent is in this class. Uh, Matt, last question for offense, your favorite player in this class. Uh, yeah, I think I know who it is. I'm probably wrong. Who are you going to say? That's a lot of pressure because I, I I'm still kind of debating on this. Um, you touched on one uh, Theo Johnson, um, but I'm going to go with Keandre Lambert because I Ooh, think his okay his ceiling is just absurdly high. I think he's going to be really good regardless. But um, if he can put on another you know 15 20 pounds, get up to around that 200 pound mark and maintain that that quickness and that um, that speed. I'm going to pull up his numbers here real quick just to kind of throw it out there. He ran a verified 4.540 at the opening finals and a 3.83 shuttle at the same event with a 39.3-inch vertical. Um, if you can maintain anywhere close to that with you know a, a bigger, uh, uh, more weight, then you're going to have something really, really special. Um, that 3.83 shuttle time, I'm not going to get this right, I'm sure. I, I, have saw it up, somewhere... I have it up right here. I, it's the thing that Sean fit again another thing that our pal Sean Fitz wrote um 3.83 seconds short shuttle uh would be top 10 all time at the NFL combine and two players broke the four second barrier at this year's combine so that tells you the kind of just raw athleticism you're working with there um he was impressive at the opening finals um he he just has a lot of traits you look for um in a wide receiver I know I'm gonna not jump ahead here, but something we'll surely talk about here in a little bit. Um, obviously, Julian Fleming was the big prize at wide receiver in this class, but Lambert was kind of a plan B for a lot of schools, including Penn State, obviously. Um, but he was a guy that Ohio State was looking at. He was a guy Clemson was looking a lot at. Um, and you you see it when you watch his video, just that that uh, raw ability. If he can if he can maintain even. 90% of that at a little bit bigger weight. Penn State's going to have something really, really special down the road. Absolutely. I, I thought you were going to say Parker Washington. Uh, I, my favorite player in this group is Johnson. I, I think he's very, very, very good. Uh, I'm going to give Washington a quick shout-out because he he if he was on the roster lat, this past season, I think he would have given Penn State something it really needed. Uh, at receiver, he gives... They didn't really have the guy who was super good at being able to get himself open and make you know make a contested catch, do the stuff that you really want out of your you know not necessarily your first receiver but second, third sort of thing. That extra safety valve that Penn State seemed to lack for large stretches this year, and I think he can really give them that. Let's move to the defensive side of the football, Matt. Start right off the bat, position group that you are the happiest with. Uh, I'm going to say linebacker here. Um, the star of the class is Curtis Jacobs, the near five-star linebacker out of McDonough School in uh, Maryland, uh, which is a place that's been really good to Penn State. Um, I'm not going to get everyone on here, but uh, 
Um, PJ Mustafer is a McDonough grad, as is Devon Ellis, a, a freshman in last year's class. Um, his raw athleticism and just um, overall ability as a football player is unbelievable. He actually plays a little bit of wide receiver. Um, what really allowed him to shoot up the rankings this fall was putting more linebacker uh, play on tape. Um, and he really stood out there as well. Really, really good in coverage, which I think is something that Penn State's linebackers um, have struggled with to some degree over the last couple of years. Um, he's really, really good in that capacity. But then you go down the list, a guy that um, really is going to end up anywhere he wants in some capacity is Zariah Fisher, who is the first Aliquippa native to commit and sign with Penn State since the 80s. Uh, that is a high school program that's produced a lot of talent over the years, but largely has gone to Pitt in West Virginia. Um, he was a, a, one of the later commits, um, was kind of an unknown when he committed, um, at least in the, the recruiting circles online, you know, 247, Rivals, etc. Um, but it was one of those things, as soon as he committed and people got a chance to watch a little bit more film, he shot up the rankings big time. He um, was a low three-star when he committed. He's now a low four-star um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he even moves up a little bit more um, as the final tweaks to the rankings come in and um, both ESPN and uh, Rivals have a chance to evaluate him a little bit more. He's, I think, top 150 or close to it on 247's rankings. Um, but he's a he's 6'3", 255. Um, he's listed as defensive end on, I think, all three of the scouting services. But um, and James Franklin touched on this today during his press conference. Certainly can play linebacker, and that's where he's played at Aliquippa. Um, you, you look at those numbers and you figure, oh, once he gets to the program and spends some time with, with Dwight Gall and his friends in the weight room, he's going to add some weight and kind of build himself out, build himself out of a linebacker role. Um, but that's not really the way the program is thinking right now. And you, you watch his tape again and you can see that he, he's comfortable in space, which sometimes can be a, a, a challenge for, for guys of that size. And the third linebacker, um, it's kind of a unique player in that. Penn State doesn't typically recruit to specific linebacker positions. Um, they like guys that can play all three, and Jacobs um, and even uh, Fisher are guys like this. Tyler Eldson from North, North Schuylkill is a true inside linebacker. He's a guy that um, wasn't the, the highest, uh, most highly coveted player, but um, earned his offer with three or four camp performances over the summer, which is always something that I – find impressive, you know, guys that, that work to get that off or guys that the coaching staff can evaluate in person, um, had a real solid senior year. Um, and I'm going to sound like James Franklin here cause I'm parroting some of his talking points from the press conference, a guy that's more athletic than he probably gets credit for, but he's a true inside linebacker guy, um, that isn't going to contribute right away. Um, certainly will have a special teams role down the road. Um, but I would not be surprised as he gets into his third or fourth year in the program, starts to see some time, um, even with some of those elite playmakers that have come in, um, both in this class and previous classes and surely who we're going to see in future classes as well. I also said linebacker, uh, and I would basically just end up parroting a lot of the stuff that Matt said, but yeah, Jacobs is a monster. Uh, Fisher seems like a kind of guy who wherever he plays, He's just really good, and he's going to be able to find a way to make an impact. And then Elsden, uh, potentially really steady, really solid. I, I, he, I was going to make the Charlie Catcher 
uh, comparison for him where he seems like he's just really good at playing football. Uh, you know, now it's we're waiting to see if catcher that translates to the college game, and we're going to see if that's the case for Elsden too. Uh, position group we're most interested by Matt without me. Uh, just to hopefully avoid what just happened. Do you also say defensive end? I was going to say defensive line as a whole, just okay. because you've got you've got guys that can play really all over. I must I'll roll through them real quickly here. Cole Brevard's a true defensive tackle, um, as is Kaziah Izzard. Um, those are both four star players. Um, but then you get down into um, I've got to keep scrolling here to make sure it's a big class. There's a lot of guys. I mean, Vanover, um, he's a defensive end right now, probably grows into a tackle down the road. Brandon Taylor, um, out of Lima, Ohio, kind of the same situation, kind of a tweener between end and tackle. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Bryce Mostella here in a little bit for a lot of reasons. Same. Um, but he's a, a true defensive end that has just, you know, crazy ability written all over him. And then Fatorma Mulba from Susquehanna. Um, the Harrisburg area, um, a true defensive tackle as well. Really raw guy. Hasn't played a lot of football, um, but it's a really diverse group as far as you've got some guys that are true tackles, some guys that are true ends, some guys that we're going to see what happens once uh, Dwight Galt gets them in his lab and starts growing them into whatever they need to become. Um, much like the wide receiver group we talked about on offense, it just kind of covers a lot of different bases. Um, and just the raw potential of the group as a whole is really impressive. I, I agree. I mean, that's why I said defensive end, just because I, I said defensive end specifically, but you're right on the defensive line in general. Uh, Brevard and Izzard are two guys. Penn State's been at its best in recent years when it has that guy or couple of guys who are able to make stuff happen in the middle of the defense. Uh, it, it's no coincidence that the team was at its best when, or things are easier for everybody on the defense when multiple dudes have to pay attention to one defensive tackle. Uh, we saw that last year with Kevin Givens. We saw it with Robert Windsor last year. Even going back to you know Anthony Zettel, Austin Johnson, those sorts of dudes. When you're able to get pressure from up the middle, that makes life so much easier on your dudes on the outside. Maybe Rivard or Izzard are able to do that. They're both big dudes and have the potential to be able to kind of win one-on-ones and force a an offensive line to have to put extra guys towards stopping them. And then, like you said, as you go down this class, Vanover, guy with a ton of potential. Brandon Taylor, uh, I loved what he did for the basketball program. I cannot wait to see what he's going to do for the football program. Mostella, 6'7", 235, you get that kid on a high-calorie diet, put some meat on those bones and see what can happen. Again, we're going to be talking about him in a little bit. And then Mulba, really, really good athlete, especially at 6'3 and 270, and it comes down to how he adjusts to to college football from high school football, something he's relatively new to. Favorite player, you're going to say Curtis Jacobs, right? That's kind of the, the obvious answer, but because it's the obvious answer, I'm going to pick a, a another local favorite of mine, Enzo Jennings. Um, <laughs> the, the, the safety out of Oak Park. We did the exact um, same thing. One, well, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about both of them, and then I'll try and keep it quick. But um, one, he, he plays his high school football about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now in Oak Park, which is a suburb of Detroit. Um, 
But two, I think he's a really, really good player. I think he is a unique player in what Penn State's had at safety. Um, probably similar in some degree to Garrett Taylor. I think he's got more of that coverage skill, but he's a big body. He's six uh, one, 185. He's going to add some weight to that, obviously. Uh, I think he's just an all-around good football player. And then it's hard not to say Curtis Jacobs just because he's he's the latest in now three straight classes where they've added that really high-end um, crazy athletic linebacker. Obviously, Micah Parsons was a defensive end when he arrived at Penn State, um, but then you added Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon last year. Now you're adding Curtis Jacobs to that group. Um, from top to bottom, the the linebacker group as a whole at Penn State has kind of been radically transformed in just three classes, um, the last three classes with um, just a whole different level of athlete than really what we've seen at Penn State in a long time. Absolutely. I Jacobs is... It says a lot about Jacob's talent that he's able to step into that linebacker room, one that has an All-American in Micah Parsons, a potential All-American uh, in Brandon Smith, a freak of nature in Lance Dixon, and a few other dudes who are just really, really special, and he's not going to be out of place at all. The thing I was going to say about Jennings is as I watch him, uh, I, well, for one, I feel like he's kind of a forgotten man in this class. Um I think that it's exceedingly exceedingly rare that a guy who, you know, top 150, and he's a little outside the top 150, plays safety from Michigan. You mentioned some of the skills that he has. He looks like he's not afraid to mix it up a little bit, but he has he's a really good athlete and has the potential to make plays in the passing game. But having said that, I feel like he's just really flown under the radar, and I feel like he's a guy who, at 6'1", 185, he gets a little bit bigger and a little more solid as uh, you, you know in that defensive backfield, and if he can keep some of his athletic traits, which are really, really good, he's going to be a guy who plays a lot of football uh, for Brent Pry and Tim Banks. Moving on to most interesting player, it's Bryce Mostella. Like, come on. It, it, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no way we could ask anyone who covers Penn state recruiting this question and specifically on defense and it's Bryce Mostella. It all started with the commitment video that we could do a whole separate podcast on, which is just <laughs> a, a complete work of art that everyone should watch multiple times. Um, we, we haven't had the chance to speak with him directly, of course, but um, you hear, you listen to the guys that have and he's just a really interesting personality all around, but as a football player, six, seven, two thirty five a true defensive end athletic as, as anyone in the class in a lot of ways, but needs to learn how to play football for lack of a better term. Really. Um, he's got crazy long arms, um, but he's gotten by, by just being quicker than everyone at this point plays in, plays in a big high school out near grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, but kind of needs to learn the position and, and obviously Sean Spencer will, will be a huge part of that. Um, working with Dwight Galt, who's kind of the star of this podcast in a lot of ways, because we're talking about um, you know, what these guys are going to turn into after a year or two working with him in the weight room and the nutrition staff and everyone like that. Um, but if Bryce Mostella can put this all together, um, you have a really kind of freakish defensive end with how long he is um, in his upper body and if he can add strength and some some technique to what is already there, 
um, naturally, then you're going to have something really special. I have no idea. None of us do. He's going to get there. Um, all of clay that, that the coaching staff has to work with is absolutely fascinating. And then you just add the personality side to it. And um, it'll be really interesting to watch what, where that goes over the next few years. Yeah. I, while you were, uh, oh God, I, I was looking at Mustela's Twitter, uh, tw- Twitter timeline while you were kind of going through that. Cause I wanted to find one tweet in particular and it was the, it wasn't his recruitment video, which was, uh, of course, just out of this world. Like, I remember watching that and going, I, I don't even care if he commits to Penn State because, like, he has really good taste in me. Like, there's Kanye in here. There's Odd Future in here. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I mess with this dude. Uh, but he tweeted, decision announcement coming at Friday, 2.47 p.m. You might be thinking that's a random time. Well, you'll soon find out I'm a random young man. And he then showed that off uh, in more topical stuff. He tweeted that he has never been more excited for a non-Will Smith movie in his entire life. And he meant tweeted that after the trailer for Cats came out. Um, I, he, he just seems like a very funny kid. Like, just this... Well, I'm just I'm looking at his his recent tweets here. He was at a, took his official visit last week, and he's got one from from last week. And I was at my official visit to Penn State and heard a conversation breakout discussing Frank Ocean's yep. discography. I knew I was in the right spot. And the one right before that, I can't explain how hurt and betrayed I feel when I found out a defensive end I knew made their transition <laughs> to offensive tackle. It's it's one of my favorite things about this year's team is this kind of the return of that personality that we saw in the, the 16 and 17 teams, and Mostella just is overflowing with personality and it's, I love having guys like that are just themselves and they're having fun. And you, you watch some of the locker room videos and things like that, that you get to see through either the personal Twitter accounts, the team's social media channels, and just seeing the the personality of the team. And and a guy like Mostella is just gonna, he's going to be a, a a social media star within a, a short time after his arrival on campus. Yeah. He has a tweet where he refers to, um, Miles Garrett as the man, which I'm saying both to excite you and to make all of our uh, Steelers listeners turn this podcast off immediately. Uh, I'm kidding. I, I I love all of you. Please sponsor our podcast. But yeah, I just as a football player, he has at six seven two thirty five. Like that is a gargantuan defensive end. He as he puts size on and as he figures out how to use that length to his advantage in college, he has the potential to be a massive, massive problem on the outside. You, you, don't, you don't want to compare him to Carl Nassib because Carl Nassib was outstanding, but that that's kind of what you want out of a dude that big. You want him to be able line up somewhere on the offensive on the defensive line, use your length to get around defender, I mean, offensive lineman, and get to the quarterback. And he seems like a kind of kid who, again, if he's able to make it all work out, he has the potential to do that. Uh, I, I have one more tweet as I'm as I'm scrolling through a little bit more. This is from August. It's it's his tweet is imagine being in a jar. That's it. The first reply is uh, Nick Dawkins, who's an offensive guard in this class. Responding like this, and it is literally a picture of Nick Dawkins photoshopped into a mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Ibrahim Trahor is on there. It just, I, it's just, it makes no sense whatsoever, and I love it. And I, I hope that he turns into a player because 
he certainly has the personality to be to be quite the character. For for sure. I mean, we'll. Uh, I'm actually glad you brought up Dawkins because I was trying to figure out a way to get into. It says a lot about how much cool stuff there is in this class that we haven't mentioned that the son of Daryl Dawkins is in it. Uh, Daryl Dawkins, of course, uh, former NBA player, nicknamed Chocolate Thunder, a nickname that was given to him by Stevie Wonder, which led to Daryl Dawkins coming on board with the belief that Stevie Wonder is not blind. Neither here nor there. Uh, I, could, I We're, we're going to skip doing any sort of bowl chatter so we can spend a little bit more time on this. Just some big thoughts that we have from this class. Um, and Matt, as I look at it, I think that you and I can agree that this, compared to when we did this podcast last year, the class isn't quite as good as we thought it was going to be. Um, you know, it's 12th, it's 13th nationally, third in the Big Ten. Uh, it, we were thinking that it had the potential to be a top five class. So from that perspective, yeah, didn't quite get there. I mean, we can point to the dudes who we thought either looked like they could end up at Penn State or were going to end up at Penn State that didn't uh, come to fruition for whatever reason. Uh, Julian Fleming, Brian Breesy, those sorts of dudes. But as I look at this class... One, they do have a bunch of guys who I think are going to be really, really good at football for Penn State. But the thing that sticks out among everything else is that, and it's something that I mentioned a little bit earlier, it seems like this class, more than anything, while it has those guys who could be starters and really, really good players at various positions... This is a class that built a lot of depth that I think you and I agree Penn State could have used. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the the disappointment, I guess I would say, for what, you know, a year ago we were having this conversation about what, what will the 2020 class look like as we were wrapping up 2019. And, you know, we tossed out names like Fleming and Brees and Mikhail Sherman and, and Antoine Sampa and guys like that that are elite top 25 five-star, best-in-the-country kind of players. Um, and you can't tell the story of this class without mentioning that because um, if you get any of the coaching staff or, or football staff behind you know um, behind the scenes, um, off the record, you're going to get an honest answer that I think they, they're probably a little disappointed they didn't land at least one of those really, really high-end guys. Um, and you know, we can break down for days why that's the case. Um, but I think what ends up happening in that place is, and we use this word a lot as we talked about specific players is just the raw potential of this group. I don't, it's hard to sit back and say, you know, this player, this player is going to be a star. I think we can say guys like Theo Johnson and, uh, and, uh, just drew a blank here for a second. Curtis Jacobs, Curtis Jacobs. I kept wanting to say Curtis Samuel, the former Ohio state, uh, Jack of all trades on offense. But, um, you have guys like that. I think we can pretty confidently say are going to have um, solid careers at the very least. Uh, but then you start to go further down, and what excites me about it is the potential of those those guys, like a Keandre Lambert or a Parker Washington, or um, you know, you, just, you know, Ibrahim Traore is a guy we didn't really talk about, but a big time offensive tackle prospect from New York that certainly looks the part. Um, camped and earned his offer that way. Um, 
but hasn't played a lot of high level football. So you there's you know, the uncertainty with with a guy like that. Um, there's a lot of guys in the class like that that um, some won't pan out, and we'll be talking about them in the transfer portal down the road. Um, that's just kind of the nature of the beast anymore. But there's a lot of guys that I think will, and you know we we saw this with the 2014 class, James Franklin's first group at Penn State, that kind of got thrown together at the uh, at the very end in the last month um, when there was still just the one signing day based on when he was hired. Um, and you ended up with guys like, you know, certainly Trace McSorley, but Amani Oruwari, Grant Haley. Um, I'm sure I'm going to, I'm going to forget some guys too, but there was a number of players like that in that class that weren't highly recruited. We didn't have the, well, I have to have four or five stars next to the name that turned into big parts of the big 10 championship team, the Fiesta Bowl champions that are now earning um, NFL paychecks. There's guys like that in this class. And I think when you supplement or, or add in the guys that they've added in the 2019 and 2018 classes and what you you expect you're going to add in the 2021 class and down the road, they, they, they add on to that class in a really unique way. I think, like I said, surely you'd want to have a Julian Fleming or a Brian Brees or a Mikhail Sherman. Um, those are the, the three names that I was really excited about going into the, the recruiting cycle. Um, but it's not like they went from top five to top 30. They're 13th national. They're probably going to finish right around there. Maybe they fall another couple spots, um, depending on what happens after the, this early signing period as, as programs reevaluate where they're at numbers-wise and, and who's still out there. Um, but it answered a lot of questions positionally. It answered um, – it filled in you know, on, on both lines, I think, was, was a key spot. And the other side of this is you have, because of the success you've had previously – in earlier classes, none of these guys, for the most part, are guys you have to rely on right away. You can be patient with them. You have talented guys that have experience ahead of them. They're going to let these guys sit and develop the right way, not be have to be rushed into situations they're not ready for. Um, James Franklin alluded to this um, during his press conference. He said, you know, if when we got here six years ago, um, we could have done this, but we've never promised playing time to anyone you know whatever you get when you get here you're going to have to earn regardless of whether you're you know the the five-star top 10 player in the country or if you're a three-star you know top 700 player in the country everything that you get at penn state is earned um and these guys are all going to have a chance to earn that and I, I do think like i said there's not one guy that you can say you know this is the guy that's undervalued that is going to have a big time career but there's enough guys like that where it stands to reason you're going to ha- end up with some really good players out of this group. It, it, it's just interesting. Like there, One thing that I love about this staff is that I don't think they're afraid to take commitments from guys who need some time and need some seasoning. Uh, Mulba is an example of that. Triori is an example of that. Warren, Mega, uh, Mustel. Like, they're dudes who have really high ceilings, but there's a chance that they don't pan out. But also, that's fine. They have enough faith in their player development to to believe that they could figure that out. And then when you look at the top of the class, like, again, it's a lot of dudes who I think, like, do I believe that, you know, uh, Joseph Johnson is going to turn into uh, the next Amani over Warrior or Christian Campbell? I 
Probably not, but he's also a guy. You need a cornerback who could check bigger receivers, and he seems like a guy who could do that. If Zariah Fisher isn't a starter at linebacker or end or whatever, he's going to play a lot of football, and he's going to be good. The offensive lineman that they have, you know, as I go down here, Jimmy Christ, Olu uh, Fashna. Oh, God, I messed that up real bad, didn't I? Uh, don't ask me because I'm, I'm reading these phonetically at best. Some of these <laughs> names, golden Israel Achimbo, like guys who, again, I don't know if they necessarily have what it is, go, what is necessary to be, uh, starting every down offensive lineman, but they all are guys who with a little seasoning could be contributors along the offensive line. Like it's, it's something that I think Penn State really could have used. Uh, I, I think you look no further than the receiver class for proof of this. Last year's Penn State team, when K.J. Hamler wasn't working, they prayed that they could get anything out of uh, Jahan Dotson, and if they couldn't, then it was going to be a lot of Pat Frymuth and a lot of the running backs. If you could tell me that two of these receivers pan out or one of these receivers pans out into a starter and two or three turn into depth guys who are able to give positive contributions, I will be over the moon with that, even though I think that they'll be able to get a little bit more than that. Neither here nor there. Uh, last couple of things that I wanted to talk about. One is the running back situation that Penn State is facing right now. Um, Kaziah Holmes, like you mentioned, a home run threat that they could really use. Kayvon Lee, really talented, uh, pretty good all-around running back. They're walking into a really competitive running back room that's bringing back all four dudes. Uh, two of them are going to be taking steps for, presumably taking steps forward this year as they go from freshman to sophomores. It doesn't sound like there's any intention to redshirt these guys. If you had to guess, Matt, just based on what you've seen out of them, how do you think things are going to play out with the running back room and getting Holmes and Lee snaps uh, next year and beyond? Well, I think the first thing to mention is that Penn State doesn't plan on redshirting elite running backs. Um, that's not to say it won't happen. You know, guys get to campus and plans change. But for all intents and purposes, both Lee and uh um, I wanted to say Izzard, but that's not right. Lee and Holmes um, are guys that are coming to Happy Valley expecting to play. Um, how this plays out, I have no idea. Um, I'm of the personal opinion that I'm that I think the coaching staff didn't expect all four of the current guys to be on the roster at this point. You know, whether that's Ricky Slade, Journey Brown, you know Ford or Kane, I think they probably figured that just through natural attrition that at least one, maybe two of those guys would just kind of see themselves bearing the depth chart and opt to move along. But other than Journey Brown kind of pulling away during the second half of the year, that really didn't happen, um, whether it be due to injury or or whatnot. Um, you even saw Ricky Slade kind of get back into a little bit of a role in the Rutgers game. So, um, And it sounds like his intention is to, to return to, to Penn State next year as well. So I don't know if, you know, if, uh, KJ Hamler opts to leave for the NFL draft. Does that mean Slade or uh, Holmes or or one of these guys shifts to the slot to just get on the field and get that talent on the field? Um, 
it's going to be f- fascinating to watch how this works. They're not going to re- be rotating six guys, that's for sure. Um, but you would think just based on the numbers at the position that something's going to have to give, whether that's this spring, whether that's over the summer as as depth charts shake themselves out. But um, what one way or another, all six guys that are now on the, the depth chart running back and on the scholarship chart, um, I don't think all six of them will be at running back at the very least when when the season opens uh, in September against Kent State. Whether that's through transfers or position changes is is really anyone's guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much an iron sharpens iron situation. Uh, you get that much talent into one room, uh, and it's going to be a bunch of guys fighting for spots, fighting to get playing time, and having to raise their game to fend off the rest of the dudes. Um, we saw this year Journey Brown turn into a very good all around back. Noah Kane when he played gave them something they really needed and just that kind of physical between the tackles running back who's able to bounce it to the outside a bit. Uh, and then Ricky Slade and Devin Ford is kind of home run threats. You're now adding Keziah Holmes to that. You're adding Kayvon Wheat to that. They're guys who are going to make cases for being able to play. Watching that situation sort it all out is going to be really, really, really interesting. Uh, moving on, kind of the last recruiting thing that I want to talk about on this edition of the pod. Uh, we somehow have gone basically 50 minutes. What is it up to? Uh, a touch over 49 minutes. Without mentioning that Penn State got a quarterback in this class, uh, Micah Bones, a dual threat from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Uh, really really good football player. Uh, comes in at about six foot and 195 pounds. Penn State had to fight off a few other uh, high major schools for his commitment, but once he committed, he was locked in. He was going to Happy Valley through hell or high water. Matt, when I look at him, I, I he very much seems like a good football player. Uh, when I watch him play, and this is not to say that he is anywhere near as good as this dude, but he kind of has that, like, Kyler Murray approach to playing quarterback about him where he's wi- he's very willing to move move around, you know, uh, make guys miss in the pocket, bounce to the outside, throw the football from there, has a good arm, that sort of thing. I don't know if he has the, well, I, I'm not going to say I don't think he does. He assuredly doesn't have the raw ability that a Murray has. Uh, not the biggest dude on earth. All this stuff. I see a very hard path for him getting to a point where he is playing at Penn State, even though he's very, very talented. He comes from as good of a high school as you could come from uh, in Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. But having said that, his path to playing time is its going to take him doing a lot of stuff right. What do you think about Bowens? Is he a guy that you think has what it takes to win the starting job at some point or are there outs do you think it's going to be hard and what is the outside factor that I know that you're going to mention uh, <laughs> when it comes to him possibly being able to contribute it, Penn State's quarterback recruiting this year in this class was kind of unique they they went I don't want to say all in on Drew Pine who ended up at Notre Dame from Connecticut but he committed to the Irish really really early in the process and then from there it was kind of um you know, throwing a lot of lines in the water and seeing how it shook out. Um, 
you you touched on the, the most intriguing part for me with Bowens is kind of more big picture as far as getting a foot in the door at a place like Bishop Gorman that just rec- peruses so much talent. Um, obviously, it's kind of a, a, a pipeline for some of the, the major West Coast schools. Um, but Ohio State's gotten players out of there. Um, Alabama's gotten players out of there. You know, Didn't any of the, the major names in the country. Uh, yes, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was thinking um, Tavon for a second, but yes, yes, Mr. Martell is a Bushup Gorman alum. Yeah. Um, and the, the soft spot for Las Vegas in my heart too makes Michael Bowens one of my one of the more interesting <laughs> players in the class. But but I digress. Um, as far as it, it is a tough path. I'm not. We're not going to sugarcoat it here. With with Sean Clifford kind of entrenched as a starter and having two more years of eligibility, with having two um, potential laden guys in Michael Johnson Jr. And uh, Taquan Roberson and obviously Will Levis already in the the quarterback room. Um, it's just it's one of those years where whoever came in, unless they were one of those high end guys, and there really weren't a lot of those guys nationally this year. It just felt like a little bit of a down year for for quarterbacks um, in this high school class. Um, there will obviously be some guys that emerge from that, but um, between just the talent level as a whole, the talent level in the the region for Penn State. And it's kind of where the roster sits at this point. Um, it's one of those years where unless he comes in and really impresses, and that can most assuredly happen, um, he's got a lot of raw athleticism. Um, he's got a little bit of a funky windup, but he's got the the natural arm strength to to still be effective um, if some of those mechanics can get cleaned up. Um, but when you factor all of that in, plus what the roster looks like, and you look at what Penn State is looking to, to do – in the 2021 class. And we'll touch on that later, but there's one really, really high end guy um, locally, Caleb Williams, and then three national guys um, that are all um, four stars to five high four stars that are considering Penn state to varying degrees. Um, You can all kind of see the writing on the wall, almost in a sense. Um, And you never want to write off a guy before he's even shown up on campus. But um, like we both said, it's a, it's a, a difficult path to envision to see where he fits in down the road. Um, and then you factor in the X factor in the offensive coordinator. This is a guy that um, Ricky Ronnie offered as the quarterback coach. He's the one who evaluated him. Obviously James Franklin and the rest of the staff had a say in this too, but um, we don't know what Penn state's offensive system is going to look like going forward. We don't know what, um, in theory, this offensive coordinator is going to be the quarterback's coach as well, just based on what Ricky Ronnie was doing and who's who's on staff at the moment, um, still on the staff. So that's you know that guy's going to have a say in in this too, ultimately. Um, but there's as a player, there's a lot to like. Um, he ran a, a high-powered offense um, at Bishop Gorman, um, put up a lot of yards. Um, like I said, is really really athletic, is incredibly dangerous in the open field. But his his Penn State uh road does look a little bit uh rocky at least at this point yeah and you it's kind of a something that Penn State likes in all of its quarterbacks it likes the guys uh from programs that have success it likes the captains it likes those sorts of things and Bowen certainly has seems like he has all of that uh and like you say you never want to write a kid off until he gets onto campus and Sean Clifford, should he stick around for another two years, which uh, I say lovingly, I hope he doesn't do that. I hope he's able to go to the NFL after next year. 
uh, he's going to have time to develop and figure out what he is as a college quarterback before his number would potentially be called. So we'll, uh, we'll hope all the best for him and really everyone in this class, Matt, we'll, again, we'll pass on bowl chatter. Do you want to just do kind of a overview on 2021 to kind of give us that first little, uh, first little taste of what Penn state wants in that class and who the big names are for Nittany lion fans to keep an eye on? Yeah, I'll let me give me a second here to pull it up. But there's, um, and and we we were guilty of this a year ago, like we said a little bit earlier, with kind of penciling some of these names into Penn State. But these are, um, to varying degrees, guys that Penn State's in a really good spot. Um, just starting up with two four sevens list of top targets, five star cornerback Tony Grimes out of Virginia Beach um, was just on campus recently, um, right before the dead period um, earlier this month. Um, he's the number ten player nationally at this point. Um, this is kind of a Penn State Clemson look. Um, Kayla Williams, the five-star quarterback from the uh, Gonzaga program in Washington D.C., is kind of the the big target at this point. Um, Penn State's probably running third or fourth in this battle at the moment, but um, offensive coordinators and and coaching changes around the country will certainly play a role in that going forward. He was just on campus again. Um, where this class can really be special is along the offensive line. Um, there's two five-star players locally. Um, one is a Penn State legacy, Nolan Rucci. Um, his dad is a Penn State alum. His brother plays uh, tight end at Wisconsin. Um, he's a five-star offensive tackle um, from uh, Lidditz, PA. And then Landon Tagwall from Good Counsel in Maryland is another five-star tackle. Both those guys are really high on Penn State early. Um Derek Davis Jr. Um, is a guy who's kind of been a little quiet. Um, he was up for the whiteout game in October, but a big-time safety prospect at a Gateway High School where uh, Terry Smith is the former coach. Um, Dante Thornton is a guy who was committed to Penn State at one point uh, at wide receiver. He's going to be a top 50 player. He is a top 50 player at this point, but um, wouldn't be at all surprised to see him circle back. Um, he was just back on campus as well. Um, mentioned offensive line, Wyatt Millam from Huntington, West Virginia, another big time offensive tackle. Um, he's a top 75 player in the country. Um, Aaron Donald's nephew, Elliot, uh, from central Catholic in Pittsburgh is a kid that Penn state's really high on, um, where that goes ultimately we'll see. Um, obviously Pitt is a major contender given uh, his family history there. Um, the next great running back, um, or next big name running back, I should say, um, Penn State will probably get one or two in this class as they seem to. Evan Pryor is probably the top top choice at this point um, out of North Carolina. Um, Jaleel Farouk is a wide receiver from Maryland, a really solid player, just visited. Tristan Lee, another offensive tackle. Um, got a couple players that already committed, a four-star tight end out of Jacksonville, Nick Elkskin, Elksnees. I'm probably not saying that right. Um, and then Nate Bruce from Harrisburg high, um, an offensive guard that they're really high on. Um, those are kind of just the, the major names. No, I think where this class can be really special is on the offensive line. Um, I don't think I mentioned Tristan Lee, another, uh, four star offensive tackle prospect, um, that is really high on Penn state already. That's where they can really, um, add some high end talent. Um, but there's a couple wide receivers they're really high on, um, to be honest, I'm not really well-versed in the defensive side of the ball quite yet here, um, but there are a number of guys. Um, Moncal Goodwine uh, is a defensive end out of uh, National Christian Academy in D.C., um, high on Penn State at the moment. Aaron Armitage, 
Um, it's actually from Jason Owe's high school, Blair Academy in, in New Jersey. Um, they're kind of the next great defensive end out of that program. Um, but again, this is kind of where Penn State was a year ago. I think they're better positioned to take advantage of some of this um, high-end local talent. Um, different kind of talent than it was a year ago as far as um, you know, a difference maker at receiver like Julian Fleming or a, an elite defensive end like Brian Brees. But um, certainly a lot of talent. And um, as we've said n- numerous times on the podcast on the site, elite talent likes to play with elite talent. And so if you can get some of these guys in the boat early, which you could see here um, after the new year when guys are able to start visiting campus again, um, when the dead period lifts in mid-January, um, you could see some of those 2021 kids um, make their their commitments to Penn State, which could um, kind of open the floodgates a little bit. And the the big fish if in this class, if they could land him, would of course uh, be Caleb Williams. Who, hey Matt, do you know where the most recent crystal ball prediction by Steve Wolfong of Twenty Four Seven Sports happens to be for Caleb Williams? Uh, it happens to be for the number one ranked LSU Tigers. And would you happen to know who is one of the people tasked with recruiting him for LSU? I'm going to hazard a guess that it's one Joe Brady. That's correct. Uh, so James Franklin, if you're listening to this, uh, what, I, I'm sure you already know this, but just to j- just to make sure that you're aware, my my, my guy, that's uh, that seems like something that uh, a bit of information that James Franklin. I wonder if he has that in the back of his head. But if not, there's other plenty of other quarterback talent in this uh, in this class that Penn State is going to be looking at. I and personally a big fan of uh, Christian Valu of the Bullis School in Maryland. But no matter what, again, we were in this exact same position last year. It has the potential to be a really special class, and we'll see what Penn State is able to do. That's it. That's our National Sign Day. But we kept this one to just over an hour. My goodness. Uh, I was expecting that Matt and I were going to ramble on for a while, but thank you to all of you for listening to this edition of the podcast. All the normal stuff goes here. Make sure you're reading, supporting the site, buying some shirts, following us on our social media platforms, subscribing to the podcast, heading on to the various podcast platforms where this is available. If you want to subscribe, especially on Spotify to help us out there and leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes, we would really appreciate that. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.